Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here with you again. Uh, I'd like to start out uh, by sharing a story. It was a normal rush hour day at a really busy New York airport, and uh, commuters were racing through the concourse to make quick connections, as you know, some of us may have experienced days like that. Crowds skidded around you know, the corners and vendors with carts and different things in a mad rush to get to the gates that were just about to close. You know, they pushed and they jostled, they bumped and they pounded their way through jumbles of people, you know, dashing to get, you know, to where they needed to go. When all of a sudden, everybody heard this huge crash. Well, it turns out that there was a fruit stand that got bumped really hard, started kind of teetering and a number of the baskets fell off of the stand onto the floor, sending apples and oranges everywhere. The woman tending the fruit stand just burst into her, burst into tears. She fell to her knees, began kind of sweeping her hands across the floor, searching for fruit. What am I going to do? She cried. It's all ruined. It's all bruised. I can't sell any of this. There was a man who had been running past who saw what had happened and he came back. You know, go on, he told the others, I'll catch up. And Seeing how frantic she was, he got down on his hands and knees and began putting apples and oranges back into the basket. And it was then as he watched her kind of sweeping the space with her hands randomly, almost frantically, he realized that she was blind. They're all ruined, she kept saying. The man took out $40 and he pressed it into her hand. He said, here, you know, as he needed to get going, but he said, here, you know, here's $40 to pay for some of the damaged fruit. The woman stood up and she began to kind of grope the air looking for him. He said, mister, she called out, mister, and he heard that. And so he paused and he looked back into her blind eyes and she said once again, mister, are you Jesus? You know, sometimes I get asked that question when I uh, wear my hair down. <laughs> Are you Jesus? And of course, I playfully indulge that query for a little bit, moment or two, before breaking the news that I am, in fact, not a German Jesus from 1970s cinema. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I don't want to just look like Jesus. That's not the point. I want my life, I want our lives to be such that people might silently ask that question of us every day. Are you Jesus? Does that sound crazy? I don't think it does. I think it's part of God's plan for changing the world. And it's what I've been talking about a lot lately in my sermons. In fact, one of the definitions of discipleship that you'll often hear at the vineyard is this, formed that we are being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. Formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. Now this process of formation um, takes all sorts of different forms. There's different ways we can enter into it. There's different facets to it. And there's one facet in particular that I think has tremendous power and potential to draw us into the life of God. And that's exactly what I want to talk about with you this morning. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your presence here with us. 
wherever we are uh, viewing this service, wherever we're participating, uh, we know your presence is here. And we, we acknowledge that and we say, come Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts and in our minds. And uh, I pray that as we open up the, the scriptures, that you'd speak to us and that we would be formed into the image of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to be in John chapter 17 this morning, parts of it at least. And this is a chapter where the entire thing consists of a prayer. Jesus is praying to the Father uh, shortly before he's arrested, and what he's praying for primarily is for the disciples, the disciples that are with him at the time, as well as uh, those who would later become his disciples, that which includes us. But I want you to pay particular attention to what Jesus prays, because here, it's really interesting, we're getting a very intimate uh, window into the kind of relationship that Jesus has with the Father. And we're also getting, I think, a clue as to what might be of ultimate importance to them. I mean, think about it. He's just about to go to his death. And oftentimes people in their last words to others, you know, kind of hone in on those things that are of ultimate importance. So I think it behooves us to pay particular attention to this prayer. So I'm going to begin reading in John 17, and we're going to read the first seven, first 11 verses, I should say. This is again John 17, starting in verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those that you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed to you, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They know with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Well, Bill Glass had a son named John. Now, John was really into sports. He was really good um, at uh, athletics. And he was a 250-pound bruiser, just the apple of his dad's eye. Then John had a knee injury, a knee injury that was so significant that it put him in the hospital for weeks, out of the game for months, 
maybe even longer, if he would even play again. One day, Bill came home and he couldn't find John anywhere. And he looked up the stairs and he noticed uh, John's room just cracked open slightly. And he could hear the faint sound of his son crying. And Bill said, as I listened to my son cry, I wanted to do something, but I didn't know what to say. So I stood outside the door and I listened to him sob. And I said to myself, I will go to my son and tell him, John, it's okay. We're going to lick this thing. We're going to ask God to help us. We're going to find the best doctors. We're going to be all right. So Bill finally pushed the door open. He walked in, but then he began to cry. He put his hand on his son's shoulder and the son looked up and, and noticed his dad crying and said, Dad, it's okay. We're going to lick this thing. We're going to ask God to help us. We're going to be all right. See, John's gospel, I think, often depicts Jesus' relationship with the Father in kind of a similar way. In fact, in John 5, Jesus says that the Son can do, only, can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does. It's as if they act as one. Well, here's the thing. One of the central themes in Jesus' prayer, and in fact, it's his primary petition throughout chapter 17, is that we would experience this same kind of relationship amongst ourselves. I mean, think about it. Of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for, he wants his followers to be one as he and the Father are one. He even goes so far as to say this, that this will be how other people will see Jesus in us. That people will be drawn to this kind of relationship. In fact, I just want to read that section in John uh, 17, um, in 20 through 22, where basically Jesus says this. He says, I pray that they may be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Well, what does it mean to be one? Is this just some kind of metaphysical gobbledygook? <laughs> you know, something that sounds nice and all, like singing Kumbaya, but what does it really mean for our everyday kind of life? What does it look like in practice? I like practical things. So what does it mean? Is it merely being able to say what somebody else is thinking, like Bill and his son John? Is it thinking and acting alike? Does it mean that we'll never disagree or have an argument with one another? I mean, it could mean all kinds of things. Well, I think to help us hone in on what it might mean, it's helpful to look at the context. As we say at the vineyard, context is everything. Well, outside of Jesus' petition for his followers, that we would be one, as the Father and him are one, there's another major theme that I think at first glance is really easy to miss. There is one word that Jesus uses over and over again. In fact, he uses it 11 times in the first 11 verses. Anytime a word is used like that, I think we need to pay attention. Anybody guess what that word is? It's the verb to give. See, there is this undercurrent of radical generosity that flows throughout this entire prayer. The Father gives glory to the Son 
so that the Son can then give glory back to the Father. The Father gives Jesus authority, and then he gives that same authority to his followers, a people to share with. The Father gives Jesus words, and then Jesus turns around and gives those words to us. All I have is yours, Jesus says to the Father, and all you have is mine. In fact, theologians suggest that this is how we can say that God is three persons in one. That the Father so loves the Son that he gives himself fully to the Son. And the Son so loves the Father that, that, that the Son gives himself fully to the Father. And the Father and the Son both fully give themselves to the Spirit, and the Spirit then reciprocates that same depth of generosity back to them. In other words, even though each member of the Godhead, of the Trinity, fully gives of themselves, they're never depleted, they're never lacking, because each of the others reciprocate that same depth of generosity. But this is where it gets even better. This, this, we might call this eternal stream of self-giving love overflows outside of itself towards us. God's love for us overflows so that God so loved the world that he then gives his son. And Jesus so loves us that he pours out his life on the cross. And now we are being invited into this same, we might say, dynamic, eternal stream of self-giving love. I pray that they be one as we are one. Sounds kind of heady, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. Understood in context, this prayer, in my opinion, which can sound really religious-y sounding, suddenly becomes very practical. You see, there's a simple practice that we can cultivate in our own lives, in our communities, that has tremendous potential and power to not only draw us into the very life of God, but also to nurture our relationships in such a way that maybe, just maybe, people might silently start to ask us, are you Jesus? Well, you might have already guessed, this practice is generosity. Now, I know, and speaking even personally here, that one of the major hindrances to generosity is the fear or insecurity that when I give, then somehow I have less. And when I have less, my life is then in some way diminished. But we have to ask ourselves, is that true? Is it true? I mean, it's not what we see when we look at the relationship that Jesus has with the Father. They are never diminished or lacking as a result of their radical generosity, their self-giving love. I mean, they share their glory. They share their authority. They share their lives. In fact, their generosity is such that it even includes us so that not only are they not diminished by their giving, but they've actually gained, in a sense, another member, another in the person of the body of Christ, we are included into the life of the Trinity. And this same dynamic is possible when we allow generosity to flow in and through our lives with one another. You can think of it kind of like a flame. I'll light this candle here. 
So if I have this candle lit and I use this flame to then light another candle, does this flame diminish in any way? In giving its light to another, does it lose light in the process? I mean, in theory, how many candles could I light with this one flame for as long as this flame lasts, as long as this candle lasts, would this light ever diminish by giving its light away to others? No. Well, generosity is like the flame of a candle. One is almost never diminished through the act of giving. Rather, one is drawn into what you might say a virtuous cycle where generosity gives birth to generosity and life becomes brighter as a result. How cool is that? Well, here's the crazy thing. This virtuous cycle is actually hardwired into our brains. Giving is inherently rewarding. Research shows that every time you give, the same region of the brain that lights up when you say eat a piece of awesome chocolate or, or sex, that that region also lights up. Acts of generosity release neurochemicals that increase one's well-being and then in turn motivates one to become more generous. In fact, now your brain is looking for opportunities to become more generous. In addition, the person who is the recipient of a generous act also experiences the same neurochemical pleasure, increasing the likelihood that they too will then become generous. And that's the virtuous cycle that we might say even images the relationship of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's how we can get swept up into the life of God, which is characterized by self-giving love. And communities that are characterized by this same self-giving love, I believe, will experience the kind of relationship that Jesus had with the Father. I pray that they will be one as we are one, Jesus said. And I have to believe that lives like these will prompt people to start maybe silently asking themselves, are you Jesus? See, this is part of God's plan of changing the world. I believe that. So how can we enter into that? Well, in the vineyard, there's this saying, you know, look for what the Father's doing and then join in with the Father in doing what he's doing. And it's modeled after this relationship that Jesus had with the Father, that, the fa that, that Jesus did what he saw the Father doing. And so rather than just me saying, okay, now everybody, be generous. Here's how to be generous. Do this, 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 and the other thing. What if we asked the Father, what are you doing? What are you doing in my life? What are you doing with my neighbors, with my family, with, with my friends, in my community? Help me to see and then show me how I can be generous. In fact, we could go all the way back to two weeks ago when, uh, towards the end of the sermon, I had us all go through that practice where first we recognize that Christ is here because Christ abides in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we could even do that now. Holy Spirit, we recognize that Christ is here with us in this place. And because Christ is in us, we know his voice. And so we can be assured if we ask 
Christ a question that he'll speak. And so make this your question for this week. Holy Spirit, show me how I am being called to enter into this, this, this cycle of generosity. How can I show generosity in, in my circle of influence? And in fact, God might even be working in our lives to help us be good recipients of generosity. Because sometimes it's really hard to be on the receiving end of that generosity. But in order to kind of keep that, that, that cycle going, we need to be able to both give as well as receive. So Holy Spirit, I pray for each person that is listening and each person that's entering into this, this moment of prayer and, and who will continue to pray throughout this week that you would speak to us. May we be drawn into the very life of God by practicing radical generosity. Give us eyes to see opportunities and the grace to follow through when we see needs that can be met through our own hands. We thank you. We love you. And may you experience God's peace. Amen. <laughs>